God bless you. That's that's one handsome dude, amen. Do you see yeah, do you see the color? Oh, that looks like he's been out in the sun a little bit. Man, I'm so jealous. That 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 looks great. Doesn't he look healthy? He's out in the sun. That's so intimidating to have him here introduced like that. That's great. I love that. What a what a great intro. I love the sun. It's you know, Pastor Lance, Polly, and I, uh, we go back, way back. An amazing family. Uh, you know, there are people in my life that are very special. And Pastor Lance or Polly are one of those. Uh, we go back, um, I think he said 20. It's actually probably a little bit longer than that. Uh, I think we go back closer to almost 25 years together. And uh, that's kind of what happens, you know. And it just, we've shared a lot of life. Lance, Pastor Lance and I have shared in leadership here at the district. We have you know, we just have spent a lot of time together. Um, you are blessed to have a pastor like him. I got to tell you, I'm not saying, no, I don't want you to say just because I'm here. Um, you got to understand that even what we're doing, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing this. Uh, it's a pretty big deal to go ahead and do a pulpit exchange. I mean, can you, like right now, he is talking as I'm talking. I mean, what you're hearing, they're hearing, uh, sort of. And, but it is such an, what a treat to do this. And he's right. I don't think they've done this here. I, I think we're setting, we're blazing this, the, the trails here for uh, uh, this kind of a thing. But it is such an honor to be here and an honor to have him at my church and, and just going at it. Uh, this is really cool. Can you say a minute of that? So when I say that, that means you like respond. Can, can you say a minute of that? That's a biblical word, you know, that means, okay, so be it, and that kind of a, yeah, are you guys okay? <laughs> do we need coffee? Okay. Yeah, oh, we do, okay, we can do that. So, um, you know, it's kind of neat, I, I love the inside the wire, what a great, um, you know, I, I love the, the uh, title of that, it kind of fits my, my life in the past, uh, um, I was uh, in the military uh, for about 30 years, uh, finished my military training at McCord Air Force Base, and, uh, well, you know, that was uh, my last station, and uh, between active duty and reserve duties, and so it's so great, because, you know, you got to realize I'm in Bremerton, and so when I talk Air Force, it's like really super quiet, because that's a Navy town, <laughs> so this is more like an Air Force town, right, because you're just, I mean, I feel like I'm at home here, and well, <laughs> And the, uh, matter of fact, I have an office in here. I don't know if you realize, I actually have an office here. Uh, it's, uh, I lease an office. And uh, we have a counseling center here. I direct a couple counseling centers. Uh, it's another part of my life. And I have a number of really amazing Christian counselors who work with me. Matter of fact, just as if you think about it, uh, we, and I'm kind of excited about this, we're getting ready. We're about two or three months from launching, and we've been working on this for about 18 months, a faith-based drug and alcohol clinic. And uh, in our area where we are, which is in, you know, the uh, Olympic Peninsula, uh, there's 17 licensed facilities, and uh, none of them are faith-based. So we will be the first one to have that. So we're pretty excited about that. We see some really amazing opportunities with that. So we're kind of excited about what the Lord's doing. Marriage and family is like the most amazing, passionate thing in my life. I love that. I love, I mean, my wife Lois is here, and, and we're getting ready. On Saturday, we're going to celebrate 39 years together. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So you're clapping for my wife. She's, she's put up with me for 39 years. And she is an amazing person. I love her so much. And we, we have shared such an amazing life together and, and continue. I mean, you know, I, I just think, again, it's interesting because I think of even the Powers family, our family, they're a little behind us in age, but uh, there's such, we mirror so much. I mean, the churches are similar. I mean, I look at, I mean, their kids are amazing. Our kids are amazing. And uh, you, you do know, you've probably heard pa- Pastor Lance talk about marriage and his family, things like that, right? Probably tell stories. Are you ready for the grandkid stories? <laughs> yeah, and I'm so excited for them because I know they're, they're, they're grandparents. And uh, you are going to hear grandparent stories. Take it from a grandpa, four grandkids. You got to tell stories on the grandkids, right? That's so much fun. So it's just, it's just so great to, to, to be able to you know, talk about marriage and to walk through this with you. Um, part of my expertise is uh, marriage. That's part of when I got my doctorate and all that. I worked in a number of areas, one of which was family systems. Um, it's a really a big deal. I, I ended, my, like I said, my career at uh, McCord Air Force Base. Uh, the commander came to me because of my background and asked, would I help lead the charge in uh, working with the high ops situation that was going on with deployments and everything at the time I was there, a lot was going on with the war and whatnot. So I went and I was actually ended up being joint force. I was working with Army, uh, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, and uh, Coast Guard. And I was doing a lot of the workshop seminars, working with the personnel, and did that for about five years. So, you know, I'm really familiar with just all that goes on with that and did a, a lot of work there. I got to tell you, our military needs that. There's a lot going on. And one of the things I think we can do better is minister to marriages and families. You know, marriage is a big deal. It's a foundational thing. I don't know if you, how you would see that, but marriages and families are foundational to the success of our community. And right now, when you think about the statistics of what's going on, what's happening with marriages in the church versus what's happening with marriages outside the church, statistically, isn't that different. I think it's interesting when you look at the divorce rate, for example, there's, depending upon which, who you talk to, there's only about consistently 1% to 2% difference in the divorce rate. And so what you find right now is that the struggles that are going on across the board in our nation with marriage and family is pretty universal. There ought to be one place that can do this better than most. I'm a passionate believer that can be the church under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. And I really believe that, if, and I know I've t- met some of your uh, couples that are really passionate with that. I'm going to encourage that in the life of your church. Marriage really matters. And it's such an important part. Now, as I'm talking, let me just qualify. I know there's probably many of you that are divorced, uh, potentially remarried. Uh, some of you may not be married. Um, you kind of heard Lance's introduction. What I'm going to say is going to apply across the board. I mean, I know some of you are probably sitting here. You already know most of this stuff. So I appreciate the opportunity to give you a little review here, and we can walk through some of this. But th- this, is a, this is an opportunity for us not to feel condemned but encouraged and strengthened and and hopefully taught a little bit from God's Word. So I'm going to start with some foundational material from Genesis chapter 1. I think Genesis chapter 1 is a great place to start. And if you look at that, we're going to bring the Scriptures up on the screen. Um, You can see right there that we we start with the very beginning. This is critical, foundational. 
There's a lot of information here, but I'm just going to touch a little bit. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the earth. Now, there's a lot of information there. You and I could spend a week just on this one little passage. But I want you to see that what is being laid out here is the biblical equality of men and women. This is telling us that who we are spiritually, who God has created us, we are contrary. I mean, I've heard a lot of crazy things said about marriage and the concept of marriage and how it all works. Men and women are equal according to what God has laid out. Here's how I want you to reframe it. We're equal, we just have different job descriptions. And when you begin to look at the word of God, what you're gonna see is that a husband and wife have a different job description. But it doesn't mean that one is better than the other or one is less than the other. And that kind of concept is something that is not laid out in the word of God. And this right here gives us some very important information about how we can begin because from that, we launch into what we understand about marriage. A lot of people ask me, so how could I have a lifetime of marriage? How could I do this right? What are the, the principles? What are all the things that we could talk about? You know, I can summarize it really in this next slide with just really one clear, simple statement. And I think this becomes vitally important. Marry the right person. <laughs> now, that's kind of simple, isn't it? And I, I qualified it, according to God's will. Marry the right person. Too often, we don't marry the right person, according to God's will. Now, of course, it begs the, the question, how do I know the will of God? Now, that's a whole other topic, because there are ways you and I can know the will of God. Absolutely, it is something that we can discern in a number of ways. But marrying the right person is really important because a lot of us marry for all the wrong reasons. We marry because we've had sex. We marry because we get pregnant. We marry because someone said, you look so cute together. <laughs> yeah, let's get married now. Um, you know, those are some of the things that you gotta be careful with because you don't wanna let people pressure you. You don't wanna let your friends around you dictate to you. You don't want mom and dad to tell you what to do. It's about what does God want? And something amazing happens when you discover God's will for your life in anything, especially in one of the most, you think about it, what is, there are only, I think, a couple things more important than determining who you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. I mean, obviously, who are you gonna serve in your life? I've chosen Jesus to serve in my life. I think a lot of you here have done the same thing. Second thing, what's your purpose in life? You know, what, how, God created each one of us with this amazing, unique design and so what and how did God create you? Here's the third thing, who you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. That's a big deal. And it ought to get a whole lot more attention than it gets today. It ought to get a whole lot more than maybe one appointment with a pastor that says, yeah, let's do it. That's dangerous. You and I need to understand what it means because marriage is such an important, important unity. It says marriage is to be monogamous, only between a man and a woman. The word is absolutely clear in that, that we, when we get married, God's design is for it to be one relationship 
between a man. You know, one of the most fastest growing relationships, and especially in the secular world, is the polyamorous relationship. We're seeing all kinds of crazy things going on where now somehow that is a huge thing coming up. So that's why I'm saying this. This is critical. Marriage is a relationship in which faithfulness for life is pledged to each spouse. This is a lifetime commitment. Romans tells us that marriage is until death do you part. That's not just a nice saying. That is a biblical statement. And marriage to be permanent and committed for a lifetime. So these are foundational things. Again, we could spend a lot of time on any one of these things. But I want you to understand that the first thing that you and I can do is marry the right person. Now, we're in Genesis. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, the next chapter, we can see that there is some very clear instruction given to us. And this is starting at verse 18. The amazing story of creation. I love this story. This is so much information here. We're just going to look at one little snapshot. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. So the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. He gave the names to all the livestock, birds, wild animals. But still there was no companion suitable for him. Man, there's a lot of information there, isn't it? And you begin to think about that as you look at Genesis, we begin to see right away something critical. It says, I will make a companion who will help him. So here's the idea of marriage. When a husband and wife marry, they complement each other. You don't compete with each other. You don't complete each other. You are complementary to each other. And that's why, for example, two very different people can get married and have an amazing relationship. If you were to meet my wife, Lois, and you would get to know me better, you'd find that Lois and I, we have some similarities, but we're actually very different people. And Lois compliments me. God brought to me this most amazing person that's a compliment to me that is, uh, together we have served and done ministry together. And we've, I mean, our, we've had a great time raising kids together and now grandkids and all that goes on. Man, it is a compliment, I to her and her to me. And so you begin to, to understand that the Word of God is telling us that we complement each other. Because look, what's going on with Adam? So think about what's happening right now. Here in Genesis, God has created the garden. And there's all these cool animals. So what's going on? What's Adam doing? Help me out. What's Adam doing? What was that? Naming the animals. I mean, do you think that was an easy task? If someone said to you, here's, you know, 100,000 different types of animals, go ahead and name them. Insects, animals, plants, the whole thing, right? How would you do that? See, I want you to begin to see Adam was an amazing, intelligent, creative, created being by God. And he was given a responsibility. We begin to see, even in this, it's kind of laid out, this is Adam's job. He had a job description. And as he's going about doing this, he's trying to figure out the animals, trying to get, you know, understand this. I mean, that's, that's a crazy job. I mean, how is it that that animal with a long nose that's really big, how, how do you decide it's an elephant? I mean, who decided that? Adam did. And he began to think about these kinds of ideas and what it would take. Now, while Adam's doing this, he noticed something. 
there's male and female of all the animals. And what, are, what do male and female animals do? They procreate. <laughs> and then they have little baby animals. At some point, Adam was so busy about what he was doing, I think he noticed, I'm one of a kind. Is that my intended purpose? Is that it? I mean, here I am going to be in charge of the garden. There's only one of me. And that's why God said, no, you need a helper who's compatible to you. Now, I want you to understand something, and this is, this is important. Adam was not lonely. He was singular, unique in his creation, but he wasn't lonely. I, I want you to get this. He had God in his life. He was hanging out with the Lord God who created all things. So he wasn't lonely. He was singular in who he was. Now, here's what I've noticed. A lot of people get married because they're lonely. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't get married because you're lonely, because you have Jesus. You have the Lord in your life. But how many of us feel like, and I've had this This has been said to me thousands of times. I'm getting married. I can't live alone. I don't like being alone. I can't handle being alone. And at that point, you got to begin to be challenged with, where's Jesus in you? How does Jesus function in your life? And so what we have here is I want you to see, because a lot of people will point to this passage, we'll see Adam was alone. He was a lonely guy. And I got to say, no, Adam really wasn't a lonely guy. He had a whole bunch to do, and he had the Lord God in his life. He was just singular, and what he brought was someone who would compliment him. So what this tells us is that we have a job description. There's marital roles. And really simply put, our marital job descriptions for the husband is to be a loving leader, provider, protector. And as we understand Scripture... It tells us that the wife's job description or her marital role is to be a loving complement, provider, and protector. Notice the overlap. Both protect each other. Both provide. I mean, you think about it. I've had a lot of people you know, challenge some of this, but what about the Proverbs 31 woman? Man, she was an amazing provider. And so you begin to think about provision here. And here's what I want you to see. According to Scripture and God's Word, the best thing that can ever happen is that in a marriage, we become a united, married team. Marriage is best done when you work as a team together. You know, marriage is a team sport. It's something where, you know, two people come together and live life and and have kids and and do all the things that God's called you to do, but you now do it together. Now, there is the concept that's important of separateness and togetherness. I've seen a lot of marriages where there's too much togetherness. That can be unhealthy. You know, too much time where you get kind of what we call enmeshed with your partner. And every now and then you'll see couples like that. It's like they can never, ever be separated from each other. That's not healthy. Neither is so much separation because we know that too much disengagement is an unhealthy family system. So what you want is a good balance. And again, that balance is what works for you. Everyone's a little different. There's not an exact measure to that. But we do know that once that balance is reached, 
and then you function together as a team, you can have this absolutely amazing relationship. And I diagrammed it out. Here's what it looks like. Now you'll notice kind of God's all around there, right? God's around there and in there. A marriage and a family functions best when God is throughout everything. You know, I, I, he surrounds everything. And you'll notice I have the husband and wife side by side. There is the overlap. So you've got togetherness, you've got separateness, so that's quite intentional. And now you'll notice there's this line, and I went, three children. I just thought, you know, it's kind of like my life. I had three children, David, Daniel, and Joshua. And you look at that, and you notice that line. That line is an important line. This is huge. It is its own statement. Because here's what the saying is. A marriage does not consist of the siblings or the children. A marriage is a husband and wife. A family is mom and dad and the kids. But when you are married, you need to have husband and wife time. That's why we talk about date night. In my, in my world, we talk a lot about marriage appointments. We talk a lot about, you know, there are times when the kids just need to be the kids, you know, and there's times when husband and wife need to be husband and wife. That's why you have a lock on your bedroom door. <laughs> One of the greatest marital tools I can give you is to go buy a locking doorknob so the kids don't get to come in any time they want. That will destroy your sex life. That will injure your marital relationship. The fear that the kids at any point in time might walk in doesn't help your sexuality a whole lot. There needs to be a separation. And so the design of this is that there is this husband and wife, and then there is the kids, and of course God is involved in all of these things. Now, Genesis goes on, and it tells us that in Genesis chapter 2, we continue reading, verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Can I tell you just as an aside? There was a physician who was a Christian, and he was reading this passage back in the mid to later 1800s. He read that, and he got this crazy creative idea that, and he said, God did surgery on Adam, and he put him to sleep. Maybe we ought to do the same with human beings when we do surgery. And the result, true story, is he created anesthesia. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> God's word is always helping us out, because we still be putting sticks between our teeth <laughs> as they you know, did hip surgery on us. That would not be a good thing. All right. So... The rib, again, surgery, which uh, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and he brought her to the man. You ever wondered why we do what we do in weddings? There's a whole bunch of information here, but the concept of the Lord God bringing her, the Hebrew concept, means that he walked Eve to Adam, just like dad walks the bride down the aisle. That's where we get that concept. And so he brought this amazing creation 
And here's what Adam said. I'll give you the, 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 the simple, straightforward Hebrew translation. Wow. <laughs> Here comes Eve. Adam goes, wow, I'm going to be poetic now. <laughs> I want to write a poem about this. And he said, this is now the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She, was, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, that is Hebrew poetry. I mean, this is an amazing moment for Adam. And then, because he was taken out of man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Notice the word therefore. I want you to see that. Therefore. And here's what that, in the Hebrew, what that tells us. And this happens a lot in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. It tells us that this is a conclusion to everything you just read. So having discussed all this stuff in chapter 2, we want to bring this conclusion. Therefore, to sum it up, here it is. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, they'll become one flesh, they're both naked, the man and his wife, and they're not ashamed. So, important information about the biblical foundation of what it means to have a marriage according to God's word. The first thing that tells us is that we're to leave. Statement one, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. So here's what happens. You grow up, you get married, and you leave home. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> you know, one of the crazy things that's happened today is we're not seeing kids leave as quickly as they used to. This is a bad idea. And I realize economics are different, all those kinds of things, but I gotta tell you the dynamics of having mom and dad you know, son with wife and maybe a baby, and all of them living together in a less than 2,000 square foot home, not a great idea. Not biblical. See, God designed that when we get married, biblically, we leave our family of origin. Now, we physically leave. We also leave emotionally. We also leave spiritually. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't hang out and we have fun and we do cool things. But take my boys. When my, I have two sons that are married with children. And when they got married, you know, I, I pulled both my sons aside and I talked with them. I said, listen, here's how this is going to work. This is a new day now. You're getting married. I am so excited for you. And I've been dad. I've been coach. I've been mentor. I've been all these things for you. Now, I'm not ever going to stop being your dad. But I went out and bought pom-poms. And I said, I brought them out and I showed my son. I said, I am now going to be your cheerleader. I am not going to interfere with your life. You and I are not, you know, unless you invite me in and say to me, Dad, could we talk? Dad, I have a question. I am going to be on the sidelines. I'm in the stadium cheering you on. And that's how God intended for that relationship to continue. So that the idea now is, in a healthy relationship, there is a separation that takes place. Because you know what? My son and his wife need to learn to make their own mistakes. They need to learn to figure life out. They need to learn to have the struggle and everything. You know what? We have such a great relationship. He still comes to me and says, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? I just had my youngest son hanging out with us. And he says, Dad, I need to talk to you. I want to get some advice from you. I love when that happens. But I don't push my way in their life. I respect, because I believe God has laid things out really clearly, that there comes a point when you leave. The second thing that we see is that you cleave. And cleaving is such an important concept because it says, and be joined to his wife. 
that joining is only to the wife. It isn't to mom or dad, isn't to the kids, isn't to friends or anything. This marital relationship is done with one another, and cleaving means you become glued together. Here's another word for this. You bond with each other. One of the problems I see in a lot of relationships is we don't bond well together. How do you bond with someone? Well, you bond emotionally. You talk, you share life together. And again, there, there's a sharing of your heart with your mate. You, you do fun things together. Obviously, you have sex together. You, uh, you, you do uh, you know, spiritual things. I mean, one of the most powerful ways that we bond with each other is we pray with each other. We read God's word together. Let me tell you something. One of the most amazing statistics that was done, and this was done by um, folks on the family, it was also done by a couple other secular organizations, and they verified this. It's kind of interesting. And here's what they discovered. When a husband and wife pray regularly together and attend a spiritual faith group, and so they've done this not only for Christian, but they've discovered this in other faith groups as well, so it does work. Here's what they've discovered. The divorce rate is cut in half. So the concept is really clear. If you are married, you ought to be sitting with each other, going to church together, praying together, reading God's word together on a regular basis, and here's what's going to happen. You are going to have a more successful relationship. And what's crazy about this, and I'm going to talk to the men for a second, guess whose responsibility it is to get his family to church? We already learned that from Adam. It's the man's job. The man is the loving leader. Doesn't mean that wife doesn't help, mom doesn't you know, participate in this, but here's the deal. If your family's in church, it ought to be because the dad or the husband is leading the charge. So here's what we tend to do today is we've assigned those spiritual responsibilities to the wife or the mom. I can't tell you how many times I'm meeting couples and I'll be talking with them and I'll hear the story about how, yeah, they go to church, I occasionally show up. You know, I'll say, so, you know, who gets everyone up? Who gets, hey, man, we're going to church today. I mean, who's the excited one in the home and says, we're going to go to church, we're going to go to Sunday school, we're going to go out to lunch together, we're going to come home and mow the lawn, we're going to have an amazing Sunday together. That ought to be dad. And this is what this concept is telling us. Scripture tells us then, the third thing is we need to commit to each other. So they shall become one flesh. What that means is we're committed to a lifetime. The intent of what God designed is that a husband and wife would be committed for an entire lifetime. And that this concept is a critical concept in the health of marriage and explains why there's a lot of struggles when it comes to marriage. There, this is a holy, sacred togetherness that comes by way of heart, mind, and soul. This is something that we really, you know, you talk about. It's interesting, you know, they didn't have glue back then. But the word here being used in the Hebrew is found in Job chapter 30. I love this. Basically, it's the image of, and, and the description is, two dirt clods coming together. So you're a dirt clod that joins with another dirt clod, and you come together. <laughs> Does that sound great? <laughs> but that's what it means, because commitment is really about two people becoming one. What an amazing concept, two people becoming one. 
you think about that, what does that mean? How do you image that? What's, a lot of people have suggested a lot of crazy things about that. What does it mean, two people becoming one? You know, it, it's one of those things, I think we have the next slide here. The, the idea and concept of this is interesting. It says, and the two are united into one. Although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither one of them felt any shame. I, got, I brought my Plato today. You remember Plato? Oh, that's so cool. You know, I was, um, I was out the other day looking for one of my grandkids for some Play-Doh, you know, because they're all in the Play-Doh now. And um, I found the 1950s, 60s retro version of Play-Doh. Do any of you remember? I don't know if you're probably not old enough, but some of you might remember. You remember when you used to get the Play-Doh set and you had this kind of uh, long container that had a lever and you'd put the Play-Doh in it and you'd press the lever down and it would kind of squish out into different shapes? They're bringing it back. <laughs> it is so cool. Low-tech, high fun. <laughs> it's so cool. No batteries. I love it. Finally, a toy with no batteries. That is so... So two becoming one is an amazing concept. So I've got Play-Doh. I've got two colors here. Two colors of Play-Doh. For whatever you want, I don't care what color it is, man, woman. Two becoming one. Here you go. Let's join together. Now... Not much is going on here yet, right? Two separate colors. But here's what two becoming one means. So think of the word becoming. Becoming has to do with living life, experiencing life, going through struggles, having successes, and then life starts helping you, hopefully, to become. You live together. Time alone makes a difference. Just spending time. This is a sexual relationship. When you engage physically with another human being, two people are becoming one. That was God's intended purpose of a sexual relationship. Now, as you keep doing this, what do you think is going to happen here? Any of you are color experts? What's, what's, what's happening? Turning pink. Oh, my favorite color with granddaughters. Pink. So as life takes place, two become one. They become pink. <laughs> now, here's the crazy part. You've been so helpful. Would you separate the colors for me? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you had the same reaction as the last person sitting there. This is it, it's really going to be impossible to separate these colors. Okay, now I'm going to say something challenging. This is why divorce is not easy. This is why having sex before marriage injures the future marriage relationship. Because you are now bonding and starting the process of two becoming one, and how do you ever separate that? You don't. And that's why waiting and making sure, remember the first slide, marry the right person is so important. I have talked to literally thousands of couples who've been divorced and got remarried. Now listen, it, there's hope there. There's an amazing thing that God can do. But every one of them has said, I've not ever had anyone not say and give a clear message that said, you're right, it's hard. You know, I've been married 24 years and I was single for a while, I got remarried. You just don't ignore 24 years. It becomes part of who you are. 
And you're never able to totally separate that out. That's why when you cohabitate together and you have sexual relations together before you've had a committed relationship under God is problematic. That's why the divorce rate is much higher. It is literally statistically 27% higher for those who cohabitate and then get married later on. That's a secular study that they did. Because this is, this is how God created us. This is part of God's design. And when you become one, the process of this, it's a lifetime process. My wife and I are still becoming one. We're still learning. Because here's the amazing thing that happens. You change as life goes on. And so there's a constant new part of life. There's a new developmental process that goes on. New stages that happen. Right? You got the before kids, you have kids, the kids are leaving, kids come back, kids leave, and then you have grandparents, and all these things going on, and each stage has a uniqueness to it. And my wife and I, Lois and I, get to continue to discover each other and understand two becoming one. And then we live out the reality that marriage is always best when you're a team. Learning to know each other is critical. To becoming one is the concept in Hebrew of yada, knowing. So God even said, he, what did God, how, how did God use marriage? What did God do in the metaphor of marriage? What did he try to teach us? Do you remember what he said? Yeah, it's sacred. And he said, you want to know what it's like to be married to me? Then think of your own marriage. You want to know what it's like to have a relationship with me? So God says, what did he do? Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, what does it say? Be like Christ, as Christ was to the church. So you begin to realize that part of this is an intimate kind of thing, and you learn to trust each other, you become transparent, and here's something that you don't see a lot, and I think this is really critical. You start living with security and safety. A healthy relationship, a family system that's healthy, feels secure and safe. And that only happens because the above is taking place. So here's what I want you to begin to take away is the reality of God has for us a, an amazing opportunity to see an amazing work in our lives take place. God wants us to have a healthy, wholesome marriage. And that can happen by understanding these foundational biblical principles. So as I close, I'd like you to be thinking about, so you might be here going, I'm not sure things are so great with me right now. Or you might have a place of struggle. You know what, Let me. can I give you some really simple advice? Ask for help. I know it's crazy, but just say the words, help me. One of the things that I, you know how long it takes people in marriages to actually decide to get help statistically? They've done studies on this. They do studies on everything. Seven years. The average couple will not walk into a pastor's office or a counseling office until they've lived whatever they lived for for us statistically at least seven years. What do you think would happen if they walked in in seven days or seven weeks, even seven months, as opposed to seven years? So here it is. Ask for help. You have an amazing church and a staff that is available to help you. 
call them. Pick up the phone and say, hey, I need some help. You have a resource available. Don't ignore it. Because I know most of you will. You'll wait till it's too late or you're so far down the road and then it's kind of hard. I have a jar in one of my offices of quarters and every time someone says, I wish I had done this sooner, I tell them, you got to pay me a quarter. I got a lot of quarters in that jar right now. <laughs> so can I encourage you? Don't wait. Ask for help. You know, it can start right now. Just, just come to that place that says, okay, I need help. Acknowledge it. Just say, yeah, I, I, need, I need to get some help here. And then ask for it. It's the best thing you can do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you can do and for what you hopefully are doing. Lord, the beginning of, for some of us here, that, that step of acknowledging and saying, God, I, boy, I need some help here. I, I pray, Lord, that you would give strength and courage to some of us here. The courage to say, yes, I need something. It's not working on my own. I pray, God, that you would just inspire us and give us that wisdom in some cases to you know, pick up the phone or send the email and ask for help. I pray, God, that we would understand these foundational things and it would strengthen our marriages and help us to live in the way you intended us to with healthy marriages. Lord, marriages really do matter, and I just pray, God, that it will continue to matter here in this church, Lord, in our community and across the board. And for that, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Steve for, ooh, that got loud, sharing today. This was my second time this morning hearing it. I sat through the first.